Well, the funny part of radio is you often performed many colorful roles and many colorful scripts, but in a plain, drab studio. So there's nothing visual to remember. It's all mental. It's all in your memory. Whereas if you had worked in a motion picture, you might have been out on a set out in the desert or somewhere, mm -hmm. and you would remember it because of that. Year after year, as you worked in radio, it was so wonderful. All you did was wear a decent suit and carry a pencil with you. And you came in and marked your script and went to work, and then you went home. And people didn't know you, which was rather pleasant. You could go anywhere, and you weren't recognized. And if you're shy at all, and I think maybe I am a little bit, it's kind of nice. We were riding along the open country and had been observing a very beautiful sunset. As the sun dipped over the western horizon, I looked to my right, and there in the sky were three small lights, which to me appeared to be three very small clouds. I looked steadily, and I said, no, they are not clouds, they are airplanes. Then I called my husband's attention to it, and he said, no, those are not airplanes, they are lights. And we observed them very closely, but being in motion ourselves, to us they were motionless, because we didn't stop. As we rode along, for something over a mile, they hung there in the sky, and they were, to us, had the appearance of tubes of fluorescent light, of beautiful, silvery, pink-tinged moonlight. And I said to my husband, that gives me a feeling that God is trying to say something to us. And uh, we have had that feeling within us since. Well, I think there's more to it than meets the eye, and I think it's more to it than what they're writing about. Personally, I don't think such a thing exists. I don't see how it could. I have uh, a confidence that something on that order may exist. I lived in North Carolina in 1903 when uh, the uh, reporter for the New York World was fired for reporting that the Wright brothers flew. Some say they're stars, some say they're enemy action, and all kinds of things, but I really don't know. There must be something to it. Purely what? imagination. I didn't believe it at first, but now I'm beginning to believe it. Most of the thing is a flying saucer. Well, I believe uh, President Truman, like the rest of us, has the right to his own opinion. The mystery of the flying saucers is becoming fantastic with a whole string of witnesses in eight states all over the country and in Canada declaring that they have seen the weird objects speeding through the air. And these include a U.S. meteorologist, also the lieutenant governor of Idaho. Well, what's it all about? Are the flying saucers some kind of secret weapons, guided missiles, either American or foreign? Or are people just seeing things? Remember that aviator flying over the Pacific Northwest? Over Mount Rainier, he told of seeing a whole flock of objects shaped like disks, 
going at great speed over mountain country. Since then, dozens of witnesses have come forward about them. The U.S. meteorologist is E.E. E. Unger of Louisville, Kentucky. He says that he saw a circular object speeding through the air on Tuesday night, going around 100 miles an hour, giving off an orange light. The lieutenant governor of Idaho, Donald Whitehead, he says he saw comet-like objects and estimated their speed at about 1,200 miles an hour. At San Francisco, a sergeant of the state highway patrol troops, about the size of a football, says he. He adds that he saw them whizzing over San Francisco Bay while he was on duty at the Golden Gate Bridge. And in Denver, Colorado, Henry Martin, W. Herod, and Harry Denny all insist that they caught a glimpse of a flock of bright objects traveling at about 5,000 feet last night. Martin says they looked like coffee can tops flying southwest. Harry Denny just repeated the famous words of the Hoosier poet Riley, What's the world a-coming to? Dr. and Mrs. C.K. Gunn and two friends say they saw strange objects moving at terrific speeds through the sky. And the latest is a statement by the U.S. Army Air Forces. They've been investigating these stories of the flying saucers. And what have they discovered? Nothing at all. The evidence they have been able to find is so nebulous and vague that they have dropped the investigation. We feel it's all up in the clouds and we can't do anything until we get more concrete information, said the spokesman for the Army Air Forces today. Flying saucers, spook lights, Foo Fighters, fiery disks, glowing orbs, UFOs. These are just some of the names we've given them. What are they? Where are they from? Who's in them? While general consensus has never fully agreed to their existence, tonight we'll explore the unknown together. Welcome to Breaking Walls, episode 129. My name is James Scully. Tonight, in honor of the 75th anniversary of the Roswell incident, we focus on radio and the mid-century flying saucer craze. People have been seeing objects in the sky and having close encounters since the beginning of recorded history. But tonight, we'll begin in 1947 and end in 1955. Thanks to radio, we can track the hysteria of this period. If this is your first time listening to Breaking Walls, welcome to the show. You can find this series on every podcasting platform and at thewallbreakers.com. Tonight's opening song is Screaming Jay Hawkins' shock rock version of I Put a Spell on You. It's perfect for this kind of mania. Join the Breaking Walls Facebook group to keep in touch with news, snippets, photos, and other additions to the podcast at facebook.com slash groups slash thewallbreakers. You can also support these shows 
for as little as $1 per month at patreon.com slash thewallbreakers. And now for news of our own West Coast, we take you to Los Angeles and the report of Byron Palmer. Anti-aircraft guns went into action against unidentified aircraft in the Los Angeles area shortly after 3 a.m. Pacific wartime this morning. The anti-aircraft guns began barking during a blackout ordered by the 4th Interceptor Command at 2.25 a.m. The unidentified object, which some sources thought might be a blimp, moved slowly down the Pacific coast from Santa Monica and disappeared south of Long Beach. Army officials declined to comment on the possibility that the object might have been a blimp. However, it required nearly 30 minutes to travel some 25 miles, far slower than an airplane. Watchers on the rooftop of the Columbia Broadcasting Building in the heart of Hollywood could plainly see the flashes of guns and searchlights sweeping the skies in a wide arc along the coastal area. The impression of the shells could be felt in downtown Los Angeles, 15 miles away. Early on the morning of February 25, 1942, several aerial objects were spotted over Los Angeles. It triggered the firing of thousands of anti-aircraft rounds. Until they receive a full report of the act. This was 10 weeks after the bombing of Pearl Harbor in Manila. Initially, it was thought to be a Japanese attack, but shortly after, Secretary of the Navy Frank Knox said it was a false alarm. The hysteria was blamed on a weather balloon. During World War II, soldiers reported seeing metallic spheres in the sky. The Allies dubbed them Foo Fighters. In 1946, numerous UFO sightings were reported in Sweden. Known as ghost rockets, they put the Swedish defense staff on high alert. No confirmation of what they were was ever achieved. All of these paled in comparison to what happened in Washington State in June of 1947. This is Edward R. Murrow. We're going to talk about flying saucers. We're going to talk about them from the standpoint of reporters, not as comedians, not as sensationalists. For the past three years, a large number of perfectly sane and reliable people have been involved in this flying saucer business. Even those of us who have never seen one have become involved. We read about them, talk about them, wonder about these reports of strange phenomena in the skies. So almost from the start, CBS has been following the story. We have been collecting material on flying saucer observations for many months, checking, cross-checking, trying to track down leads, no matter how far afield they took us. This, tonight, is our report. June 24th, a transport with 32 Marines on board crashed near Mount Rainier, Washington. A private pilot named Kenneth Arnold was flying from Chehalis to Yakima on a business trip. Arnold had six years of experience flying in and around the rugged Mount Rainier terrain. He went off course to look for wreckage. 
on April 6, 1950, he spoke with Edward R. Murrow about his experience. It was while I was searching for this crash that I noticed a terrific blue flash past nose of my airplane. I noticed that the flash came from a very peculiar-looking object that were rapidly approaching Mountaineer at about 107 degrees. This chain of objects were nine in number. Uh, I assumed at the time they were a new formation or a new type of jet. So I was baffled by the fact that they did not have any tails. It passed almost directly in front of me, but at a distance of about 23 miles, which is not very great in the air. I judged their wingspan to be at least 100 feet across. The sighting did not particularly disturb me at the time, except that I had never seen planes of that type. I never could understand at that time why the world got so upset about like this, that these things didn't seem to be a menace. I believe they had nothing to do with our Army and Air Force. As the objects passed Mount Rainier, Arnold turned his plane parallel to their course. He timed their rate of passage. They moved from Mount Rainier to Mount Adams, a distance about 50 miles, in 1 minute 42 seconds. That put their speed at over 700 miles per hour. That was three times faster than any manned aircraft in 1947. The next day, Arnold told his story to a newspaper in Pendleton, Oregon. The military questioned Arnold on three occasions, doubting his experience. That's right. Now, of course, some of the reports they did take from newspapers, which did not quote me properly. When I told the press, they misquoted me, and in the excitement of it all, uh, one newspaper and another one got it so snarled up that uh, nobody knew just exactly what they were talking about, I guess. These objects more or less fluttered like they were, uh, oh, I'd say boats on very rough water or a very rough air of some type. And when I described how they flew, I said that they flew like you take a saucer and throw it across the water. Most of the newspapers misunderstood and misquoted that, too. They said that I said that they were saucer-like. I said they flew in a saucer-like fashion. But other pilots soon told of sightings. On July 4th, the Oregon Journal received a letter from an L.G. Bernier of Richland, Washington, who saw three objects flying towards Mount Rainier about one half hour before Arnold. Bernier suggested they might have been extraterrestrial in origin. Arnold soon agreed. Uh, I don't know how best to explain that. I uh, more or less have uh, reserved an opinion as to what I think, naturally being a natural-born American. If it's not made by uh, our science or our Army Air Forces, I'm inclined to believe that it's of an extraterrestrial origin. I'll tell you this much. Uh, all the airline pilots, none of us have appreciated being laughed at. We made our report essentially to begin with because we thought that if our government didn't know what it was, it was only our duty to report it to our nation and to our Air Force out of it. I think it's something that is of concern to every person in the country. And uh, I don't think it's anything for people to get hysterical about. Now, that's just my frank opinion of it. The 
The problem with simply dismissing what Arnold saw lies in the fact that he was a credible witness. Sure, he could have been seeing things, but here was a man who was both highly trained and highly observational. Two weeks later, the most speculated UFO crash of the 20th century was reported in Roswell, New Mexico. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. Army officers say the missile, found sometime last week, has been inspected at Roswell, New Mexico, and sent to Wright Field, Ohio, for further inspection. On the evening of Saturday, July 5th, 1947, rancher W.W. Brazel made a trip into Corona, New Mexico. His ranch had no phone nor radio. He was unaware of the Arnold sightings. When Brazel heard stories of flying discs, he connected it with debris of a crash he'd found three weeks earlier. He took his info to the sheriff's office. The sheriff called Roswell Army Airfield, which assigned the matter to Major Jesse Marcel. Brazel took Marcel back to the site, and the two gathered up debris. Marcel took the material home on July 7th. The next morning, he took debris to his base commander, Colonel William Blanchard. Blanchard reported the finding to General Roger Ramey at Fort Worth Army Airfield. Ramey ordered a sweep of the ranch for all material connected with the crash. The material was flown to Fort Worth immediately. In the face of this, late in 1947, the Chief of Staff of the Air Forces, at that time General Carl Tui Spots, sent a directive to the Air Materiel Command located at Wright Field, Ohio. The Air Materiel Command is directed to set up a project whose purpose is to collect, collate, evaluate, and distribute to interested government agencies and contractors all pertinent information concerning sightings of phenomena in the atmosphere which can be construed to be of concern to the national security. The United States Army Air Force soon announced the capture of a flying saucer. For two days the report stood, but the Army soon walked it back. The UFO at Roswell was now a crashed weather balloon. Marcel and Ramey posed for a photo holding up what looked like aluminum foil, but astute observers noticed what appeared to be a classified memo in General Ramey's hand. The debris was sent to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio for testing. Many people were unconvinced. After all, why would weather balloon debris need further lab analysis? Life magazine ran a story about the disks on July 21st. Broadcasting magazine stated that every station in the country had discussed what happened, some with an Orson Welles twist. And Radio Daily reported various attempts to use flying disks for marketing purposes. The Roswell incident soon faded from public attention, while the U.S. government began Project Saucer to investigate UFOs. The next January, Sergeant Quinton Blackwell, chief operator of the control tower at Godman Field in Fort Knox, Kentucky, spotted a strange object hovering over the south portion of the field. Four P-51 fighter planes chased the object. The leader was Captain Thomas Mantell, he was a Normandy invasion veteran. At 2.45, Mantell reported by radio. Object directly ahead and above and moving about half my speed. At 3.15, he reported again, this time 
from about 15,000 feet with no oxygen equipment. Object still ahead and above, moving at about my speed or faster, 360 miles per hour. The thing looks metallic and is of tremendous size. I'm trying to close in for a better look. At 18,000 feet, the other planes turned back. Mantell kept on. Going to 25,000. If no closer, we'll abandon search. That was his last report. It was believed he blacked out. His plane climbed to 30,000 feet before nosediving. The investigation said he was accidentally observing the planet Venus. But in April of 1949, that theory was reversed. Further investigation showed the elevation and azimuth readings of Venus, and the object as reported at specified time intervals, just didn't jibe. The object Captain Mantell chased to his tragic death is now officially marked unidentified. In all, Project Saucer investigated 375 cases. The report takes in 244 different observations. Just yesterday, we asked Major General William F. McKee, Assistant Vice Chief of Staff, United States Air Forces, to summarize the conclusions reached by Project Saucer. He said, During two years of thorough investigation, no evidence was found which would indicate that the reported flying saucers were anything but the result of natural phenomena. On the other hand, all the evidence indicated that the reports of unidentified flying objects could be accounted for under three major headings. One, misinterpretation of various conventional objects. Two, a mild form of hysteria. Three, or simple hoaxes. It has been suggested that what people actually have been seeing is the result of some of our own secret experiments, guided missiles or new types of planes or flying weapons. This is emphatically not the case. None of the three military departments nor any other agency in government is conducting experiments, classified or otherwise, with disc-shaped flying objects which could be a basis for the reported phenomena. So, how many credible witnesses could be misinterpreting various conventional objects? Apparently all of them. Or apparently not. But again, as in the first reports, there remained that same unexplained percentage of reliable, trained observers who claimed to have seen some object or objects, wheeling, whirling, zooming, slicing, or hovering in the sky. Douglas Gourley of Laguna Beach, California, is an example. Here's his story. After 14 months as an anti-aircraft observer with a searchlight battery, and also 18 months as a seacoast and anti-aircraft observer with another searchlight battery, I was driving north March 21st on 101 Highway at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon when my attention was distracted by the sunlight reflecting off some objects. I counted eight of them, proceeding directly out to sea at 2,000 feet altitude. They gave the appearance of being made out of aluminum, and I could observe a perfect circle outline of these craft. They were going, I would say, approximately 150 miles an hour. They were definitely a powered craft of some sort. <laughs> 